Hey, ding-dongs, welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast normally about NBC's The Good Place. My name is Brianna, and with me on the line, how many different ways does she need to kill someone? It's my sister, Marissa. I cannot fire a warning shot indoors. I meant fire at them. (laughs) Uh, Since The Good Place is on hiatus... Oh, this is our first episode of 2019. Happy 2019, y'all. Happy 2019, everybody. Since The Good Place is on hiatus and it's coming back, what, next week? Yes, I think so. Okay, so we didn't really have time for like a theme month or to get into anything big, so we thought we'd just do another episode of Dealer's Choice. Well, I mean, the, the federal government is shut down. And that's <laughs> what I was going to say, was that like we were going back and forth on things to do an episode on, and I think subconsciously we're like, can we have some functional government in our lives? <laughs> and so we decided to watch The West Wing. Seasons one and two. One episode from each. Yeah. Uh, This was a seminal show in my teenage years for me. This was like a big high school watch for me, which shows you what kind of kid I was. And super popular. (laughs) And since you had the DVDs, also a big watch for me because I just. That was how we used to binge things, kids. (laughs) (laughs) The DVDs. The DVDs. (laughs) Oh, man, you took really good notes, and I'm not sure that I want to (laughs) actually... No, that's okay. Um, We watched both of the Big Block of Cheese episodes from seasons one and two. Those are the only Big Block of Cheese episodes? It was hard to find episodes that we loved that also weren't, like, deeply upsetting. Yeah, I I floated the idea of doing the Christmas episodes, but season one Christmas episode is about a dead Vietnam veteran, and the season two Christmas episode is about Josh's PTSD, which is one of the best episodes ever made of the show. But like, I just I just needed something a little <laughs> just needed something a little more comforting <laughs> right now. Yeah, yeah, and there's like the the shooting arc at the beginning of season two, which we love. The two episodes at the beginning. And there's also the MS arc at the end of season two, which we also that love. Is, so, so at the time, Two Cathedrals is the is the season two closer. At the time, a fairly prominent television blog called it the King Lear of television, which I think is approximately correct. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to do the King Lear of television. I wanted to do the right. Two Gentlemen of Verona of television. <laughs> <laughs> so, Once so again, super popular in high school. <laughs> Don't you know it? Me and Jamila Jamil getting our first kisses well into our 20s. There we go. So uh, the first episode, the first big block of cheese episode is season one, episode five. It's called The Crackpots and These Women, which we got to talk about that title probably at some point. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to I'm going to give like a I'd rather just talk about the show. So I'm going to kind of give like a sort of an elliptical summary of the episode. Okay. uh, Where... It opens on a pickup basketball game where President Bartlett kind of tags in a, a Duke, a former Duke basketball player. The only like plot related thing that comes out of this is that Toby is like yelling at the president about how the better angels of his nature are being shouted down by his his need to win. Need to win yeah. yeah, which is like the most poetic trash talk I've ever heard. <laughs> also, it's awfully disrespectful to say to the president, but whatever. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> so Josh has a meeting with someone from the NSC. Did they later say NSA? And I was like, definitely not NSA, definitely NSC. Um, oh, I thought it was NSC. 
So Donna says it's someone from the NSC. And then when when Leo introduces Josh to the person, he says he's from the NSA. And I was like, he sure isn't. (laughs) That's not not the person who's given out these cards. Uh, Basically, the, the, the plot with Josh is maybe I should just untangle these based on like the person by person instead of trying to go scene by scene. Yeah. Okay. The plot with Josh is that... Josh is given a card by someone on the National Security Council that will allegedly get him to safety in the case of a nuclear attack. And nobody else is has one of these cards except, I assume, the president and Leo have them. Yeah. And Josh has a lot of emotions about it. And he goes to see his therapist. And it comes out that his big sister, Joni, died in a fire while he while she was babysitting him and he managed to run out of the house, but she was trapped in and she died in this fire. So it's established not very subtly. It's established that (laughs) Josh, well, look, all the psychological stuff with Sorkin is like hitting you over the head. Right. Right. Um, It's established that Josh has some survivor's guilt. And so he's, and he's like, I can't get the Ave Maria out of my head. And that was like a song that Joni loved. And there's a lot of Ave Maria. Like he's listening to it later. And then it actually ends up like scoring the end of the. Yeah, it's like the music uh, sting at the end of the episode. Yeah. And, you know, so he's got the Survivor's Guild and he, he, he figures out that nobody else has gotten these cards. And he tells CJ that, you know, it's not going to be a nuclear attack. It's going to be like a biological attack. And because and... CJ has given him an article to read about smallpox. Right. That's and CJ's crazy. like, yeah, of course I didn't get one of these cards. They're not going to need like a press secretary. If the, like the bomb drops or whatever, but Josh is like super troubled by this. And eventually he goes to Leo and the president and he says, he gives some grandiose speech about how he wants to be a comfort to his friends in times of strife. And he gives back the card, which in my opinion, it's kind of a stupid storyline. Like, I understood it. But I feel like the president should have been like, hey, um, no, we're we need you. Yeah, to we're asking you to serve your country in the way that we've asked you to serve your country, which is the entire point of your job here. So keep the card, genius. But they're just like, yes, oh, what a, what a good boy you are, Josh. We love you so much. I have so much to say about Josh, Brianna. I have so much to say about Josh, but not until after we're done with the, okay. with the summaries. Didn't you have a blog in the early 2000s called <laughs> I Have So Much to Say About Josh? <laughs> oh, ladies and gentlemen, my little sister has me begged, and we will get there. That's okay. I have we the same blog. We will get there. I have the same blog. <laughs> So I got a lot to say about Sam too, but (laughs) different, different stuff. So uh, another, another major plot thread is Toby and the president are butting heads over. They passed some anti-gun bill, but it was pretty toothless. Yeah, but it's pretty toothless. Allegedly. I don't actually know what it said. It's imaginary. Um, And I mean, yeah, we we don't know what it said, but the previous this was a pickup from the previous episode where they had a lot of trouble getting it passed. And they had a lot of trouble getting it passed because a lot of Democrats said that it doesn't actually do anything. It's just a cosmetic bill. So that's kind of what sets up this episode. And if you're wondering how long it took for Aaron Sorkin to recycle a storyline from uh, the American president. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It happens before this. It happens in the third episode where he has to give a proportional response. Oh, to, yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> Three oh, by the way, <laughs> if you want to talk about um, all the Sorkinisms that, like, are in-universe, let me know. I have an encyclopedic knowledge for this stuff. <laughs> so, 
Toby and the president are butting heads over this gun bill and, you know, you're going to get asked about it. And I want you to say, you know, that we could have done better and we could do better. And Mandy's like not into that idea. And there's like a whole thing about a fundraiser at a Hollywood, you know, some some Hollywood producers house. It was never super clear to me what exactly the details were on that. We meet him later. There's an episode in 20 Hours in L.A. is about the that fundraiser. Yeah, you have such a better memory than I do. But but basically, it's just that the president and Toby are butting heads about a lot of things. And, and then Toby finds out he wasn't the first choice for the job, which he yells at CJ about. And CJ's like, I didn't know. Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> as far as I knew, you were the first choice for the job. Can right. you please? Poor everyone's always yelling at CJ for no reason. Poor CJ. Uh, well, Toby has no chill about anything. Like, he no, can't. he really doesn't. I appreciate him as a as like a upright person. But dang. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he says to the, you know, he basically confirms with the president that he was not the first choice for the job. And Bartlett's like, yeah, I mean, Josh and Leo both said we needed you, but I offered to some other guy. But thank God he turned it down because, you know, you're basically, you know, you're my moral compass and I need you here. And, you know, thanks for being here or whatever. And that's kind of that storyline. Mm-hmm. We do get sort of incidentally, we do get the first meeting between uh, Zoe and Charlie, which is, Aww. I know, so cute. And what's her, what's the actress's name? Zoe's name? Um, Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss. This Moss is so young. I know. <laughs> she's, and she's like so this huge young. star now. Yeah. I mean, and so is uh, Dulé Hill. Yeah, that's right. But uh, they're so adorable. Yeah. I, lo- I actually loved. So Zoe comes in and this the whole episode is capped by like a staff dinner. And, uh, mandatory staff mandatory. dinner. And um, these people have lives. <laughs> No, they don't. No, I mean, they that's don't. a through line in the show. Um, I loved when Josh comes in to say hi to Zoe, and it's clear that they've known each other for a while, and they're like buds. And then yeah. Charlie he's, comes yeah, in. Yeah, he's like a big brother to her. Yeah, and Charlie comes in, which is actually a nice cap when you think about the fact that he's had all these sister issues in the episode. Yeah. And then Charlie comes in and calls her ma'am, and Josh is like, this is a girl, Charlie. You don't have to call her ma'am. <laughs> right. And it's just very cute. So I guess the other storyline is the big block of cheese day. I think CJ has to meet with someone who wants a wolves only overpass. It's Ron Swanson, everyone. It's Ron Swanson. It's amazing. He's so deadpan. He's, but he, no, it's not like deadpan funny. He's just like straight up deadpan. Mm -hmm. He's very, he's very serious about wanting a wolves only highway, like 1800 miles worth. And it's like almost a billion dollars or something. It's the most ridiculous thing you could imagine were there any other big block of cheese things i'm forgetting oh um the ufo right sam is visited by a ufoologist who's from scrubs yeah he's the one of doctors from scrubs yeah uh he's like an administrator right not a doctor i thought he was a doctor but oh you're right you're right and i think that is pretty much it so the 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 reason that the episode is called the crackpots and these women is because the crackpots are the big block of cheese people i i think in it Nicely, the second big block of cheese episode in the second season, th- they're actual people with actual points. <laughs> this time around, it's it's literal crackpots. The second time around, it's like, oh, pe- these people have a point about something. Yeah, I mean, like, they do address at the end of this episode that, like, wildlife conservationists have a point, but it's but what they're asking for is just so out of... Like the bounds of normal, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. nobody would approve a nine hundred million dollar like wolves only highway, right? But 
Bartlett actually makes this really beautiful speech at the end of the episode and like we could talk certainly about like how well this has all aged and all that stuff (laughs) um but the writing is you know the cadence of it and and a lot of Bartlett's speeches are still beautiful and you know, the more cocaine Sorkin did, the more <laughs> beautiful his speechifying was. Cocaine so the, the reason, fueled. <laughs> the reason that the episode is called The Crackpots and These Women is the crackpots are the big block of cheese people. And the, these women is, it's a little paternalistic. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks for backing me up on this. Um, Bartlett and Leo and Josh are standing around after Josh has, dec- no, it's right before Josh declines the NSC card. Right. It's like, look at these women. Oh, these these women. It's women can do stuff now. <laughs> CJ looks like a 1950s movie star, and she's so um, she's so smart. And Mandy's going toe to toe with Toby. You know, Mandy gets fridged at the end of the season, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and. and uh, who, oh, and Mrs. Landingham lost two sons in Vietnam, but she's still serving her country. And like these women, I actually look at the these point about, women. Point about Mrs. Landingham, I liked. No, absolutely. I, it, I, I think it's 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 made better in the, at the end of the second season yes. when she dies. Is that the episode where she says she misses her boy? What's the episode where she says she misses her boys? The Christmas that, episode. It's a Christmas episode. I, yeah. I think it is the first season because the, the homeless vet who dies on the street That's is right. a Vietnam vet. That's right. Poor Mrs. Lanningham. I know. But so just and I, I just like, <laughs> I I uh, I don't know, B. Like <laughs> I was, I was like I on the one hand, yes, I guess I like these female characters. On the other hand, I was like, these women, like, I don't know. Well, let's say, well, okay. <laughs> I don't know, unless you want to treat both of these separately. Nah, let's roll them together. Discussion. Let's roll them together. So the other episode we watched was season two, episode 16. Somebody's going to emergency. Some, I'm sorry. Excuse me. <clears throat> Lying here in the darkness. <laughs> oh my God, I knew we were going to get Hear the sirens wail. Somebody's going to emergency. Somebody's going to jail. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Don Henley. <laughs> I would I be love- singing along with you, but I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> I legit love that song. I'm sorry. I also love the Ave Maria because it was in that first season yeah. episode we watched. I'm pretty sure I know that song because of the West Wing. Ave Maria or somebody's going to somebody's, emergency? Uh, a New York Minute. New York Minute, yeah. Because I, think I, I you know had both an MP3 of it. <laughs> yes, that and the other one that got played in this season was that Dire Straits song. Oh, oh Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms. <laughs> yes, that's from Two Cathedrals, I think. Yeah, this no, is, this is like my West Wing hot MP3 mix. It's like very strange to remember like the late 90s and early 2000s, <laughs> like yep. part of our lives in relation to the and what this show did for us at that time. Definitely changed our brains a little bit. And I'll get to that with Josh. I will get to that with Josh. Okay. So a few threads in this episode as well. The most prominent thread is the Sam thread. Yeah. Sam has just found out that his father has had a mistress for many, many decades, I think. And sort of in the midst of this, Donna comes to him with a college friend of hers who Some... I know I know that we're blowing through these, but I just have to make a shout out. She's a associate professor of international relations at the Maxwell School, which is a really, really good school at Syracuse University, which is where I went. It is also 
where Aaron Sorkin went. So, tip my hat to you. How is it that Donna is basically just out of college? I mean, she she's not that far out of college, right? She she um, and yet her college friend is a professor. So, in the first episodes of the second season, we get to the flashback episodes. The flashback episodes. We meet Donna. She has taken longer than normal to graduate because she switched her major so many times. Mm, and right. she never actually graduated. She had to drop out of school to work to support her doofy boyfriend. Deadbeat. Yeah, that's right. And so it is possible that she is later Late on in 20s, her 20s, I guess. Yeah, and it's okay. also possible that her friend, they met at Wisconsin. It's also pro- possible that like the friend's maybe a couple years older than her. So sure, she, the okay. friend might be like 30. Okay. I believe that then. Yeah. So Donna's friend, her grandfather was convicted of perjury, but but tried for espionage, you know, for the Soviets. He was a sort of a White House aide in the 40s. And um, the the conviction was thought to be flimsy. And Sam is compiling a list of people for Bartlett to pardon. So Donna brings her friend to sort of lobby for her grandfather's pardon, even though he's he died after six months in prison. And the reason that it's become like a time sensitive thing is because her own father is on sort of on his deathbed. And Sam starts poking into this. Oh, and Sam apparently, weirdly, <laughs> yeah, coincidentally, made an argument for his pardon in the middle of his like Princeton senior thesis, which is kind of a weird series of coincidences. And so Sam kind of gets a wild hair. He's obviously upset about his own father. He goes to the FBI to see Clark Gregg, who apparently is Woo! typecast as Agent federal agents. Agent Coulson, who uh, is very snippy about this whole thing and is not totally persuasive, but and tells Sam, you know, like, this is not, you know, something you should be doing. And Sam's like, I will do it. And so then well, he goes. The point that he makes that I actually really liked was our failures are public and our successes are private. I've thought of that so many times, I can't even tell you. Yeah, I mean, and it's a good, like, relevant, hashtag relevant for today. But, like, you know, it's something that, and he talks, too, about, you know, the shooting at the beginning of the season and all of the, all that kind of stuff. And and so, I mean, it, it, Sam is supposed to be very pig-headed in this episode, but that's, like, you know, Clark Gregg is basically telling him, like, stand down because like i'm telling you we have a good reason for this and he's like no i won't and so then he goes but yeah so he's gonna do it anyway and then our the maybe the best character in the entire show nancy mcnally i love her the national security advisor who plays the cj role in um the american president in the american president right she calls sam into like basically the situation room and is like hey, uh, drop this thing with this part in. And he's like, no, I won't. And she's like, no, seriously, please, I'm telling you to drop it. He's like, no, but I won't, though. Yeah, he's like and- mansplaining to her yeah, about I, the I, case. Oh, God, I was so mad about this. He's like, I mean, in reality, I'm sure it's just like, here's we need some exposition, right? Sure. But the way he does it is like he mansplains to the freaking national, national security advisor. security advisor. If I were her, I'd be like, uh, okay. I could have you killed right now. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, yeah, he's going off on this mansplaining tear. And, and she's just like, 
hey, here's like a super classified file. She says that she went through and blacked out. I was like, girl, you have better things to do with your time. Please tell me you did not actually sit there and black out the things he's not allowed to see. She allegedly has has blacked out all the things he's not allowed to see in this very highly classified file. And she's like, here's the evidence that this guy was an actual spy. And he's like, oh, my God. And then he leaves. Yeah, he's appropriately mortified by his own behavior. Yes. Yes. So then, you know, he's sulking and (laughs) Donna finds him and is like, hey, like, what happened with this? And first of all, Sam, like, gets on her case for having her friend butter him up a little bit, which, like, stop. (laughs) Just stop. And yeah, I was so mad at Sam in this episode. And (laughs) then he's like, he actually gives this speech that I, I really appreciate and I think about a lot. I do, too, actually. Yeah. How, you know, Donna makes a case for, like, it was people pushing papers around 50 years ago. Like, why does it matter? And she's just trying to get him to stop. Like, he wants to go tell the friend, like, this is, you know, I can't, we can't pardon him. He was a spy. Right. Um, And Donna's frantically trying to, like, stand him down. And he's barreling ahead. And she says it was people pushing paper around 50 years ago. Like, I think she's just grasping for something. Yes. What does it, right. What does it matter now? It's 50 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And he says it was high treason and it mattered a great deal. You know, that the soil of this nation contains the graves of people who fought and died for it. And, you know, any espionage is a, you know, is a stain upon that sacrifice. And, you know, it's actually very moving and I agree with it. And um, I think about it a lot. Yeah. He calls, well, and it's, it's a really moving speech. And then, of course, again, with the hitting you over the head with all the psychological stuff. Sorkin, like, we're not stupid. He says, um... You know, the, you know, the graves of people who what Lincoln called gave the last full measure of devotion. And then he says of fidelity. So, like, clearly he's singing mm-hmm. about his father. And then he says, father. this girl's going to find out who her father is, which, OK, she's a professor. She's not a girl. But OK. <laughs> and also and then Donna's These like, these women. <laughs> right. And Donna's like, Sam, you mean grandfather. Like. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron Sorkin. We get it. We yeah. get it. Yeah. Sam goes and lies to this woman to sort of let let her save face with her own father. And that's the end of that plot thread. Another plot thread is Toby uh, has to meet with WTO protesters and he complains about it a lot. And he meets an awesome cop named Rhonda, the second <laughs> best character in the West Wing, I think. <laughs> Who's the first? Nancy McNally. Oh, there you go. So... You know, and Toby complains about these anarchists and whatever, and he doesn't really want to have to talk to them. And then he does. <laughs> and we don't get to see it. Josh reports that he blew the doors off the place, but we have no evidence of that he, independently. He, he does. I mean, I'll say, so this show started in 99, right? Mm-hmm. So there were a really big uh, WTO protests in 1999 in Seattle. So I think that's probably what this is based off of. And like we were talking a little bit before the that we started recording. And like I know a bit about the WTO now for weird reasons. And it's your job to know it's things my job. about the WTO. It's my job. It's my job. And yeah, in case anybody from my team is listening, because I have... I have told a couple people on the team that I have a podcast. Hi, uh, you're the reason I know about the WTO. And um, like the people 
in the protesters actually like they're supposed to look like knuckleheads but they actually have some pretty good points (laughs) and you know toby also has some good points but he leaves out a few things that are pretty uh salient to some of the criticisms of the wto today and also he like quote unquote he like fake protests to josh and everything he says is correct so it's sort of like we i couldn't figure out like what side we were supposed to be on I think we were supposed to turn our noses up at anarchists who can't sit down and listen. Yeah. But that we weren't supposed to necessarily have an opinion about the WTO per se. That's fair. That's probably fair. Um, but they, maybe that's just me reading into it, maybe. And yeah, I mean, he basically says free trade stops wars. But you're right. Like, we don't get to see him change any minds. We just... It would be... It's impossible, right? You can't write that. Right. We just get to see him grouse to a snarky police officer. Who is great. Who is great. (laughs) Another plot thread is that CJ meets with the cartographers for social equity. I love this. I have a story about this also. (laughs) Where they show her that the Mercator projection is sort of imperialist, sort of Western European centric. I appreciate their points. I feel like CJ is written a little too stupidly in this. She's like, well, where is that? It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's obviously a map of the globe, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's 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 kind of funny, but it's also like CJ CJ went to Berkeley. I, I mean, you've got a master's degree. Yeah. Like, okay. It's a fun thing though. Like it's a fun thing to get worked up about, like map projections. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Yeah. And uh, the last thread is very minor, but there's a whole thing about Bartlett's presidential library not being able to get the site he wanted, and it's only a thing because it brings up this issue again of whether he's going to run for a second term because spoiler alert, he has multiple sclerosis. Spoiler alert for like a 20 year old show. (laughs) Yeah. He has multiple sclerosis and he promised Abby, his wife that he would not run for a second term, but he's kind of thinking about it. And it's sort of this whole thing where he has to decide at the end of the second season. That's pretty much the episode. Yeah. Okay. Uh. (laughs) I need to talk about Josh first. And then we can talk sure. about whatever you things. want. I have I, a lot of things to say also. Y- yep. I don't think so. Okay. I'm not sure how much <laughs> I should admit here. <laughs> let's say. Judgment let's free just, zone. Well, there's a lot of people listening. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be nonspecific and simply say that it, it, as this show was on the air, I certainly was participating in internet fan culture particularly surrounding Josh and Donna as a as a as a ship as we might say do I have to mm-hmm. define what that means you know what no, like, like we talk about shipper wars every week on this show <laughs> good point Chelinor forever so um yes they were the Chelinor of the 2000s mm, no I'm just not, okay <laughs> so um I don't think I appreciate it how this is amazing <laughs> how uh, deep into my psyche uh, Josh Lyman had gotten until I watched this today. I hadn't watched it. I hadn't watched West Wing in a long time. I know that you tend to kind of like go back and like rewatch shows that you've watched sort of like piecemeal, right? Just Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For whatever reason, that's not like a habit of mine. So it had been a while since I had seen it. And I... (laughs) Brianna... (laughs) I saw Josh on the screen and I was like, oh God, <laughs> like 
suddenly a lot of things in my life are making sense. There was just some... Holy I looked at, moly. <laughs> I looked at Bradley Whitford. The first scene in the first episode we watched, she's wearing like um like a basketball, like a tank top, basically. Yeah. And like the, his arms yep. and like the receding hairline. <laughs> and I was just like, oh no. <laughs> like, I think... <laughs> Imprinted on him when I was just a duckling. (laughs) That's what I wanted to say about Josh Lyman. I love this so much. Oh my god, help me. (laughs) Uh, You're not the only one. Okay. You're not the only one, for sure. Um, I was a little younger than you. So I don't think you I are can... always a little younger than me. <laughs> that's, Consistently, that's how time works. Unless <laughs> yep. you're in the Jeremy Bear me. Um, <laughs> I don't think I had the same. I wasn't. I it, I I didn't. I was into Josh and Donna in like the second season, but I don't think I had the same. Like he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't like a heartthrob for me. <laughs> Um, but he, I don't, yeah, I <laughs> like, but, uh, but saying heartthrob, like, I almost didn't want to say it because there's a, he's not, he's not meant to be like, none of these characters are really supposed to be like romantic in any way. They're not meant to be like a romantic lead because that's not what this no, show's about. Right. It's an ensemble and there's um, some romance sometimes, but it's usually pretty peripheral. But so, yeah, I mean, it, but this is just fans being like, oh, yep, here you are, <laughs> like, <laughs> on this show. Yeah, I mean, I I still love Josh. I, I, I know that there are a lot of really, I think there are a lot of things about this show that haven't aged particularly well, but I still love the writing, and I still uh, love Josh a lot. And it's... I know that opinions are very divided on Josh. Certainly you yeah, could listen to another you could listen to another gaggle of feminist podcasters and they would maybe drag him and I yeah. can't. I love him. <laughs> I love the snark. I love the 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 knowledge. I loved I love Josh and Donna Brown. Actually, I'll say this. You know, I'm having a realization in media Uh-oh. res. <laughs> Guys, everyone gather around your podcast set. <laughs> I was going to say that he didn't, I didn't imprint it on him in the same way. And I'm realizing now that that is completely untrue <laughs> because one of the most significant romantic relationships in my life uh, that lasted my, the longest romantic relationship I've ever had was with someone who loved the West Wing. And I think part of the reason why I was attracted to him and why he was attracted to me was because we, like, there was a ton of banter. And it was mm-hmm. very, very West Wing, Josh, mm-hmm. and pick a lady. Amy <laughs> or Donna or whatever. Oh, I couldn't stand Amy. And it's funny because I couldn't stand Amy either. And then a couple years ago, the same guy was like, you've grown up into Amy. And I was like, no, I haven't. And then I, like, rewatched it. I was like, yes, I have. I'm Amy. <laughs> Just a big old feminist coming to kill all your jokes. Um, but so I'll take it back. He, I totally imprinted on him because, yeah, uh, 
you know, hey, that guy, if you're listening to this show, hey. <laughs> Not to make it awkward or anything. No, I already did that. It's fine. All right. Why don't you give me your spiel about Sam? I don't like Sam, guys. It's funny. He was sort of, you know, he was like a big get for the network, you know. Yeah. Um, Rob Lowe is obviously a very, very conventionally attractive man. Yeah, he's Who's also hot. an excellent actor. Super great. And so he got like top billing, you know? Yeah. So the, I don't know if this is true. This could be an apocryphal story. But what I've heard was when they were pitching the show originally, it was meant to be about Roblo's character and Roblo's character was at the center of it. Mm. And that's kind of how they got him. And then <laughs> the old bait and switch. And then basically the show evolved. Like it actually, so what I heard from, you know, we already mentioned we watched this on DVD. I used to watch directors commentaries of these and like, they weren't really even supposed to be talking about the president that much. It was supposed to be about the senior staff Right, Martin Sheen was supposed to be more of, like, a guest star kind of thing. Right. And so, but as the show evolved, it became much more of an ensemble, and Sam's character was relegated to these, like, side plots. And I think for Rob Lowe, that was not what he wanted. He wanted to be the star. Um, And so he, they wrote him out of the show in season four, he win. He actually doesn't win a congressional spot. He like kind of jockeys his way into a congressional spot in California. But the reason they wrote him off the show was because he got a starring role on like a a show a, that lasted for five minutes. Yeah, it really lasted for five minutes, and then it was called like the Lion, Lion in Winter or something. It was called the Lion's Den. It was about okay. a. It was about like it was like a courtroom drama. He was a lawyer or something like that. But he got top billing. And so he left the West Wing, so they wrote him off. And then that show lasted for like five minutes. And then I don't know that he did much of anything really significant until he was brought on to Parks and Rec. I'm sure he did stuff. So he, I mean, but he may have had like guest starring roles, but he didn't have a a headlining show. I don't no, think. No, he didn't. So, um, you know, the character of Sam, when I think about the stuff on the show that, so that's like the Rob Lowe stuff. But I think that's, you know, I wonder if like some of the stuff with Sam and the the choices that they make around his character like had to do with that kind of like reshuffling of priorities. Because he was, I think, a bigger person in season one. But he was a bigger pers- player in season one because of a storyline that I absolutely hate. He's, he sleeps with a call girl and then tries to like become her friend and it's like this whole thing and he's like very toxically masculine about it and it's like very very bad and you know i i actually these were sam's kind of like an asshole to that guy in the first uh the crackpots in these women but like you know he's kind of an asshole to that guy who comes in on big big block of cheese day but they kind of all are this the second episode we watched. Yeah, he's he's very like mansplainy to and Nancy McNally to Nancy, like, which is come like come on. Yeah, know your place first of all. Seriously, and like I, you know, I think he act he can act very very well, right? So when he's acting, I mean they all can. There's right. no there's no there's no deadwood on this show. Yeah, there's no there's no there are no slouches. That's for sure. So he's very good at being pissy. 
And I get that he's supposed to be basically like sleep deprived and going through all this emotional stuff, but he just, he comes off kind of petulant, which I'm sure is the aim, but also uh, not a good look. But mostly I don't, mostly I don't like Sam's character for a lot of the things that like I specifically, we stayed away from some of the episodes that I really don't like about Sam's character. And it's mostly the season one stuff. And it's also like he has a flirtation with Mallory and that kind of Mallory's Leo's daughter. And that kind of like doesn't really go anywhere, but he, she's, she just ends up being another person that he can like monologue to. <laughs> there there a is of, a lot of that. There's in a lot Sorkin. of dudes monologuing Don- at ladies yep. in Sorkin. And like I said, I love the writing. So like when Sam does make that speech about the last full measure of devotion, like, that's a wonderful speech. There's nothing to me wrong about the speech itself. It's just that this is a character that frequently like monologues at women about how they should feel about things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they kind of all do. I mean, Josh does too. Like, I, I forgive it with Josh because obviously to anyone who has two eyes, guys, the, you know, the relationship between Josh and Donna is very particular. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of men telling women things in in Sorkin. <laughs> that's, that's really what this show should be called. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, and this is also like, would you call the West Wing Sorkin, Sorkin's like magnum opus? I would. Yeah. Yeah, I would too. I actually love his earlier. A few good men is one of my favorite movies, hands down. I think I, mm, I'm trying to think if I prefer the American president. The American president is obviously more lighthearted. Yeah. The American president I also adore. I think it's wonderful. I think Michael Douglas is perfect as the president. You can see a lot of like these prototypical characters in the, in. in... Oh, it's a complete one for one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Michael J. Fox as Josh Lyman's. Uh, I mean, uh, and if you want to talk about, yeah, I mean, and Michael J. Fox is adorable. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So, like, everything leading up... I mean, I guess this is, like, a bigger discussion about Sorkin, but, like, everything leading up to The West Wing I thought was really impeccable. The first few seasons of The West Wing are wonderful. He leaves, you know, all that coke. He leaves at the end of season four, Sorkin. And the show crashes and burns. I mean, I didn't really watch it. I haven't but that's seen my... almost anything past that. I I have said on this show before... I have admitted my shame that I watch a lot of fan videos on YouTube. Um, <laughs> so you've I, seen how Josh and Donna ends up. And it's I, like, it's like it's, season seven, it's right? Season seven. And it's not great. It's, it's, yeah. it comes after, again, I'm, for anybody who watched like seasons five, six, and seven, I'm, I apologize uh, if I'm getting this wrong, but essentially like Josh goes to work on the Santos campaign, which is the next democratic nominee. <sighs> Donna goes to work on another campaign and that causes Josh a lot of like pain and he kind of takes it out on her in unfortunate ways and he just like yells at her basically and and then they eventually they end up working together again and when Santos wins the Illinois primary I think they kiss for the first time and it's like you've known this woman for how long like you're adults well that's I mean so that's the problem with Josh and Donna right like that there was this sort of shining moment for it to kind of coalesce and they would not pull the trigger on it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly when that was. I want to say it was the end of season three, but I'm not going to swear to it where somebody tells 
Josh, you know, obviously Donna adores you and whatever. I think it's Marley Matlin who tells him that. I love Marley Matlin on the show. Oh, she's, she's so great. Good. We should we should have done a Marley Matlin episode. We should have. That would have been an MS episode. But so, so there was this, you know, it was sort of coming to a head, you know, building up over a couple of years. And if they had pulled the trigger on it, you know, the end of season three or maybe the beginning of season four or something, then I think it could have been interesting that Donna would have had to have had another job, right? Because uh, Donna was Josh's personal aide, I guess, is yeah. her, the best title we can give her. Yeah, she's the, she calls herself the deputy deputy chief of staff. Right. <laughs> so... It would have been problematic for them to be dating and her to be his personal aide. Yeah, I don't I think, think they would allow that. Right. So they would have, but they could have easily gotten her another job, right? That's... Yeah, there's there's an episode later on, and I think this is after I stopped watching, but I've seen a clip of it where basically, like, CJ tells her, like, you're too smart to be Josh's assistant forever. But, like, there's a reason that you're still here. Like, you have to examine that. And she, mm. and she like, won't do it. You know, she kind of gets, Donna kind of gets like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And and CJ's like, come on. You, come on. <laughs> right. You know, and she's right. I think, yeah. I, I, I think they missed a lot of opportunities. But I, you know, I think they missed a, a lot of opportunities for characters across the board after Sorkin left. Yes. I think a lot of character arcs went in like completely different directions than Sorkin ultimately had in mind. So I wonder what would have happened if he had kind of stayed on. It's impossible to know. And if he would have recovered from whatever drug addled state that he found himself in. He had to go write Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Oh, brother. I just brought that up. I don't remember why, but God, what a terrible show that was. (laughs) So bad. Oh, I remember why I brought it up. Because I was listening to... uh, Kristen Chenoweth. Uh, so so sometimes Sorkin, who I don't think is a very good person, <laughs> sometimes Sorkin... <laughs> oh, come on. I, I, so, sometimes Sorkin takes his personal things in life mm-hmm. and then acts them out with the little paper dolls he gets to play with on television. That was 100% Studio 60 with the drug addiction and with Kristen Chenoweth. Right. So uh, Kristen Chenoweth, who is a Broadway star... And Sorkin dated, but she's a fundamentalist Christian, and that's maybe allegedly why they broke up. Sorkin, of course, is an MOT, member of the tribe. He, he is a Jew. Um, and, and so that was like the first episode of Studio 60 was, you know, the brilliant male writer yelling at the female actress about how, you know, she went on the 700 Club to promote her Christian album or whatever, and how dare she? It's the whole season. The whole season is, I love you, but you love Jesus, and we can't be together because of that. Um, It's like, Sarkin, come on! And that is... Gosh, who plays that actress? She's Uh, super famous now. Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson, who I I was like, it's the woman who was in Serenity for five minutes. That helps nobody. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, we've gone a little far afield here. I sorry, think. sorry. No, no. I started getting on Rag and Sorkin, and I was like, "This is this is a groove I like to get but into." But I think Sorkin's Sorkin not being the best person. I think that's this show is like very specifically one voice, right? Um, so, so what were you going to say? Voice. Yeah, what were you going to say? Maybe about some of it aging well versus not aging well. Oh yeah, well, part of it is that right is I so I love all the early Sorkin stuff 
And I think what I don't... I mean, Studio 60 was a piece of garbage. I watched the first few episodes of The Newsroom, and I couldn't do it because (laughs) as I... Because it has some of the same themes, right? Like this brilliant guy. Did you watch Sports Night, though? I didn't, but I've heard good things. I've tried to watch Sports Night, and the fact that there's a laugh track, I just can't. Oh, okay. I know Felicity Huffman's on that show, right? Yeah, Philium H. Muffman, yes. (laughs) Yes. But, like, Newsroom is Sorkin still having... Here's... I actually have this debate with a friend of mine a lot, because we both like Sorkin, but... You know, this when you talk about the stuff that ages well versus doesn't age well in in the West Wing, a lot of people bring up the sexism. I actually, I, I, I don't, this is, this is going to sound uh, different than I wanted to sound. I don't mind the sexism on the West Wing, and here's why. Uh, or at least the overt sexism, the plot lines about sexism. Because I believe that would be true, right? I believe, mm. and I, I believed it in um, A Few Good Men, too, that here's this female officer who is really bookish and very diligent and she's just looked down upon because the military's a boys club right like joe we need you to leave the room so we could talk about you behind your back and she's like okay you know and she puts up with it people if you were wondering if brianna can quote verbatim every line in a few good men the answer is yes the answer is yes uh if we ever do a few good men episode um it will just be me acting out the entire movie for you (laughs) But she, you know, people talk about Demi Moore's character of being a bad character. I don't actually think that's true. I think she's probably truer or, you know, that she's a nag or whatever. And it's like, but but there's a dynamic there that I actually believe in. Same thing. I know Mandy is kind of like a controversial character, but like same thing with Mandy. And same thing with CJ. Like CJ gets left out of a lot of conversations for sexist reasons, right? You're too, quote unquote, friendly with the press corps. So we didn't want to tell you this. They're talking about her relationship with Danny in particular, but they're also, you know, talking about like, it's just a boys club that they, they don't really know how to bring her in. And she yells about that to, you know, when Toby gets at her about that, she says, look, it's taken me two years to get this amount of credibility and you've shot me in the foot and you need to apologize. And so the, the plot lines about sexism or like Abby losing her license and, and the fact that Abby's Abby talks about her how her career got swallowed up by her husband's career, right? Those It was I, so weird. Did, did they not really decide who Abby was until later? Because the probably. first season episode that we watched, they they were like, The first lady's in Pakistan and like she really loves Ouija boards and I was like, Abby Bartlett loves Ouija boards? <laughs> She's a doctor. <laughs> I don't think they knew. Who she, I, I don't. The same way that I think they thought that Bartlett was going to come in and out. They probably thought the same thing of, I mean. Yeah, they and, really. I mean, the first episode of season one, there's a thing about how Bartlett has a granddaughter. And it's just like, it's very poor. Like, they did not make a character Bible before they started the show at all. Right. They really just, I mean, Sorkin was just like, I'm flying high. <laughs> Let's get this show on the road, people. But the sexism that I, the the stuff, yeah, I mean, you're right. You're totally right. But the, the things that don't age well to me are the things that at the time were considered like probably totally fine to write storylines about. And now we're like, what? Like, you know, or, you know, another good example is like when Amy Gardner is talking about, and this is not an episode we watched, but is talking about language around like a, a bill about prostitution and they, she's fighting them over the word forced 
And she's saying, look, you know, you can make an argument that all prostitution is forced because there are economic forces working against women too, right? So Mm -hmm. prostitutes too. So, so those kinds of things I appreciate the stuff that doesn't age well to me and that I don't appreciate as much is Sam being really mansplainy to Nancy McNally. God, I was so mad about that. The stuff with the call girl and how like obstinate he is about her. There's some racial stuff that works that, you know, is still an interesting conversation and I think still relevant. Like Sorkin, the reason why the shooting happened at the end of season one is because Sorkin got a lot of hate mail about having an interracial relationship on the show. And he was like, okay, here you go. Let's talk (laughs) about it. And the fact that it was white supremacists and they kind of had to have that conversation. I I actually thought it was handled quite well. But then, you know, there's some really icky stuff at the beginning of the third season about terrorism in the wake of 9-11. Well, so I feel like we have to handicap that episode, right? Yeah. Because it literally was like, you know, the West Wing was a very expensive, I mean, this was like maybe the peak of expense of network TV, you know? You look at those sets and how many extras there are and you're like, how much did this cost? It's it's absurd. So... You have this very expensive, highly produced show where, you know, things are being filmed months in advance and schedules are being set. And we know, you know, this is going to be May sweeps. And we know that in June or whatever of the previous year. And then, uh, you know, 9-11 happens in, well, September, obviously. (laughs) And they basically slap together an episode in like 30 minutes. It feels that way. It definitely it, it, feels that I, way. It, it is that way. It yeah. is that way. They just they just shoehorn it into this season that was already, you know, planned out and written and filmed and all that. So I, I tend to look at that episode with like, can we just agree that's not canon and move on? Yeah. No, Because they felt like they had to address it. I don't think that they did have to address it. But at the time, if you were not alive for this or you, for some reason, were too young to remember or whatever, everybody felt like they had to address it. So Except for friends. Except for friends. <laughs> and uh, so Sorkin felt like jumped into the breach and kind of pulled back something that was not good. And let's just not. He stayed up all night. <laughs> he stayed up all night. He had a little bit of help. <laughs> I'm not saying the powder was white. I'm just saying. It's like Kathy Griffin. <laughs> yes. She seemed to have trouble with her balance. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But I think, I think, so I think there are some things that age well, and there are other things that don't age well. And that is true for Sorkin and his ideas himself aging well and, or not. Like, I want to say something more substantive about the WTO. Like, Ah, no, well, actually, yeah. I mean, the stuff with the WTO, he doesn't talk you know in this episode you know they say free trade stops wars which is for to a large extent true but you know they don't talk about the environmental effects of a global supply chain they don't talk he doesn't really address uh one of the protesters yells out like how many 12 year olds made your shoes that's that's real that happens and and i know that that's that's what i meant when i said like i'm not sure how we're supposed to feel about 
the WTO protesters, other than they're kind of like silly anarchists and he's kind of making fun of them, I guess, for just being young, which feels very Sorkin to me. Very <laughs> yeah. like very sure like does. Sor- Sorkin the guy. Not not Oh, can I give like you more evidence that Sorkin is not a good person? I mean I listen, I agree with you, but yes. So there was a forum, and this was one of the places where I applied my uh, Josh-loving trade, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. There was a forum on Television Without Pity, which was a, at the time, it was like the television recap site, right? So this is like 99, 2000 or whatever. They were like the only game in town, basically. They had these, they had people watch these episodes. And this was back when you had to like tape it on a VHS tape <laughs> and then go back and rewatch it. And they would write these like 15 page recaps of these episodes so that if you missed the episode, you could watch the, re- sorry, if you missed the episode, you could read the recap and be totally up to date on it. Or if you just wanted like to obsess over it or whatever, it was there. Or if you, I don't know, if you were writing fan fiction and <laughs> you needed some salient plot details, not mm-hmm. that I what? ever would, mm-hmm. but just, it was there just in case you needed it. So television without pity also had these fan forums where there was like on fire. People were posting all the time. Aaron Sorkin, uh, came on to those forums <laughs> And defended himself. <laughs> Lord. Uh, well, like, that's that's a plot episode. That's a plot yes, in and one then of the he wrote an episode about it. <laughs> then he wrote an episode about it. So I don't think he came out. I, I'm trying to remember. I, so I'd have to like do some research that I haven't done. I completely forgot about this until we started talking. But um, my memory is that he did, was not upfront about being Aaron Sorkin when he first started posting. Oh <laughs> but it came out eventually. And then he wrote this uh, episode. Was it of the West Wing? Mm-hmm. About... LemonLimon.com. Right. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Just like people on the internet be crazy, basically. That was the whole episode. <laughs> oh, and, brother. And it was Josh goes on a forum because they're talking about how hot Josh is on the Which forum. is a thing we did on Television Without Pity, yes, let and, me assure you. And he wanted to see that, and then somebody is critical of him, so Josh like gets in too deep and CJ yells at him. <laughs> yeah! He basically calls all the internet commenters like characters from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Like, she's not ca- kind about them. No, and they're, yeah, it's, and, and it's like the old canard of like, <laughs> oh, they're just like in their mom's basement or whatever. Like, yeah, I don't that's not, I mean, we okay. were. But <laughs> no, we were. No, 15. you're right. We were absolutely. That's where the computer was. It was in the basement. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, and Sorkin sort of like his own worldview or whatever, his own stuff, and not even his worldview, just his stuff, kind of creeping in. Happened in Studio Sixty all the time. Happens, you know, in the newsroom, like, I watched the first few episodes, and I couldn't do it because this, like, you know, that show is really sexist, but to me, sexist in a really forced way. Like, the, you know, obviously, it's the man who is troubled and brilliant, and the woman who's the producer, he's, like, the anchor, and the woman who's his producer, like, jilted him at one time, and he... Oh, for the love of Pete. He's never gotten over it. So he, she says, like, basically, so Sam Watterson, like, runs the network and is like, hey, she's your producer now. And he takes it out on her, or he says, fine, you can be my producer, but I get hiring, I get firing privileges. So if you piss me off, I'll fire you. What? Yeah, it's the, that's what I'm talking about. 
Like, it's that kind of stuff where I go, well, this just feels like you're going out of your way to be terrible. Whereas, like, if if you wanted to have an honest conversation about the sexism in newsrooms, like, we could have that. But instead, you're making it into this, like, personal vendetta. And, you know, the main male character on that show, at least in the first couple episodes, like, can't be bothered to remember anybody's name who's, like, young or a woman or, like, a young person of color. Like, just can't be bothered. <laughs> and it's... A really like to me I think it's a kind of it just doesn't you know the 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 secretarial staff on the West Wing women right these women right these women but they're you know they're kind of you know they're they get some laughs every now and again like you're supposed to think Margaret's ridiculous but you're also (laughs) we have checks and balances (laughs) And then uh, Margaret sending then things Margaret back to the hill. Vetoing things and sending them back to the hill. You know, you're supposed to think Margaret's kind of funny, but like sh- all of the secretarial staff on the West Wing, they they do get treated with respect. You don't get people, you know, there's an episode late, much later on where basically Margaret and CJ are talking and CJ's like, you keep this place running like clockwork. Like, I don't know how you do it, but you do. And... So there is an appreciation of them in a way that I think you don't get on other Sorkin shows where you're dealing with people who are like, quote unquote, below the main characters. And so I feel that way about the newsroom where like he just can't be bought. I mean, could you imagine like anybody on the West Wing? Like, I can't be bothered to remember my secretary's name. I can't be bothered to remember this person's name. Or like if you, you know, with Mandy, they tried to have this thing where, you know, Josh kind of gets all puffed up about her and saying like, well, you know, if she steps out of line, like I'm going to put her in her place or whatever. But everybody makes fun of him because that is a completely ridiculous thing to say about a professional woman. And whereas on the newsroom, that's just taken as like de facto, like what we get to do. Like, oh, he's the man. So he gets to make the decision about hiring and firing this person who is like very qualified for the job, but happens to have ended their relationship in a way that he did not appreciate. How did it feel for you to watch this show in the midst of a government shutdown orchestrated by a president who the if worst you, people? If you if you if there's a bright center to the universe <laughs> and that bright center of the universe is Josiah Bartlett, then perhaps the current president is the point furthest from it. Yes. That was something. That was something. I, I Like I said at the beginning, I think we did this to ourselves. Like, we picked the West Wing because we know it really well. So, you know, we could We can talk a... intelligently about it without too much prep, frankly. Right. But watching it again, like, to hear a president say, by the time we're done with our four years here, I hope that every young person... I hope we've made it possible for every young person who wants to to go to college, regardless of their socioeconomic status... I it hurts a little it doesn't hurts. it <laughs> it hurts it's really tough and you know the West Wing if I'm not mistaken came out right before the tail end of the Clinton years it's tail end of the Clinton years and right before we had eight years of W yeah so so yeah the West Wing was the sort of liberal fantasy of what Bill Clinton could have been were he not sort of consumed by his own lust I think <laughs> I'm being very serious, yeah, you know, know, that that he 
that he had a lot of sort of good ideas, maybe in good forward momentum, but he was crippled by his own appetites. Yeah. And uh, an amazingly recalcitrant Republican Congress. And I think this show was sort of like, yeah, but what if we had someone who was like Bill Clinton, but like noble, <laughs> noble and, and unimpeachable. And I don't mean unimpe- like, I mean, unimpeachable in both senses of the word. <laughs> yeah. And, and also I think probably more, bookish or more like i don't know what the word is but that's not fair to clinton who was a Rhodes scholar i guess that's true he just but i just mean like maybe i'm just thinking of phil hartman's impersonation of him on saturday night live yeah you were a little young i don't think you really remember the clinton years that well i definitely don't yeah but i remember I, them a little better but the, but the like impression that i had of him is also maybe like the john mulaney sort of like impression of like Really smart guy, but, you know, really charming and likable and likable uh, to sometimes a, like a... A fault? A damaging degree. <laughs> yes. Um, right. right that- so the, the biggest thing about Bartlett, like the biggest liability about Bartlett is that he's sort of like too out of touch. He's too much of... Mandy calls him a economics professor with a stick up his butt or whatever. Yeah, like he's... he's In that sense, he's Clinton's opposite. Right. He's not sort of charming and effervescent. He is a wonk. Yeah. Now, yeah. Clinton was also a wonk, right? I mean, Clinton famously used to, you know, they say, uh, Donna says at some point during uh, somebody's going to emergency that Bartlett works till all hours. You know, he leaves the Oval Office at 10 p.m. or whatever. And this was like mm-hmm. famously a thing with Clinton. Clinton would work at, like day and night, would be in the Oval Office at absolutely all hours of, of the morning and evening, would read everything you know yeah so but but that wasn't his persona that wasn't his that's, public persona yes that's exactly what i was trying to say you said it a lot better yeah so yeah it it there 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 was a time there was a place i know where this wasn't it was just one click off from reality and now it's infinity clicks off from reality and it's yeah. a little bizarre yeah. Because this is like the, the noble heart of the public servant who goes to work every day and sleeps in their office and cares so much about what they're doing and and follows through on all their tasks and everybody just, you know, full hearts, whatever, can't lose. I didn't watch that show. <laughs> clear um, eyes. Clear eyes, thank full you. hearts, can't lose. Right. That's that's them, right? Or that, clear like, eyes, full hearts, and you lose a lot of the time, but you get back up and you keep going, and you always get back up. And the the just like Spider Man, <laughs> yes. And the fights you're fighting are moving. the most important fights in the world. Yes, and which is another reason why I think the West Wing survive. You know, like is relevant even when some of the, uh, Sorkin's other work is not as relevant because like a sketch show doesn't have the same gravity as the most or important. A, or a sports show. Right. It doesn't, doesn't have the same gravity as like, oh God, India and Pakistan are like pointing nukes at each other, which is what they were dealing with on the West Wing. So so you have this, the, the, the rosiest possible picture of what it, you know, who is who the public servants are who are keeping the executive branch running day to day, basically. And and now we are confronted with this reality of, you know, I think someone called it a cacistocracy, which is the, the rule of the worst. 
that it is like the worst. So it, it's like it's a dark mirror. It is a, it is a black <laughs> mirror through which we see yep. ourselves. Like everything about the West Wing, it's, it's as though someone poured toxic bile on it, and it and it all mutated into the worst possible version of itself, where everybody is out for themselves, and, We're and basically everybody in is the Joker's West Wing. Like if the right Joker or like in Zelda, where you go through to the dark, you know, the portal to the dark world. It's like everything is on its head, and it's just. Mm. Yeah, and and I think that's that's honestly like why I have dipped back into the show a little bit more recently because I'm just like I need it's like methadone. I know. Yeah, you need a little bit of it when all this stuff is going wrong. And actually, the West Wing. Not that we watched these seasons, but the Santos campaign, where Jimmy Smith plays like a very charming, wonderful, smart Latino guy who um, wins the Democratic nomination and ultimately wins the presidency, that was sort of a precursor to the Obama years. Yeah, it was, it was very prescient. Yeah, it was. I want to make one nitpick and then we're, we're going to get out of here. Okay. Uh, their badges are wrong. <laughs> what? Everybody who visits the White House, and, and this is both episodes, they're given these badges that are white with a red border and they have a big letter, a big red letter A on them. So the red means that they don't have clearance. The A means that they're an applicant and that is wrong. They should have a V for visitor badge. Dang. I mean, it, it's such an exquisitely well-researched show. For this to be wrong, it was like... Someone's playing the most beautiful piano piano sonata, and all of a sudden it's like, bronk! <laughs> it happened multiple times. I was like, get with the program, set decorator. I wonder if that was like a security thing. Oh, I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. I got to, this is my one last thing. I got to, so a couple years ago, for my Christmas gift, my best friend Meg, who I talk about on the show a lot, she was living in LA at the time, and she got the two of us and her mom tickets to the Warner Brothers studio tour and the Warner Brothers studio lot has the Oval Office set from the West Wing. (gasps) So I made that noise exactly when I saw it. So they were, it was like, we got comically bad weather because in Los Angeles, it's always like 75 and sunny, but it was like 50 degrees and raining. And so they took us indoors a lot more, I think, than they normally would have. And we went into this one warehouse and they had, you walk in and there's the presidential seal on the wall. And I was like, oh, interesting. And then the, our tour guide was like, and here you'll see the Oval Office set from the West Wing. And I <laughs> made the noise that you just made. Yes. And I was the only one on the tour who no. cared about this at all. <laughs> and... Her mom was so sweet and was like, do you want me to take a picture of you? You could sit Uh, at the desk. Do I? And she said, do you want me to take a picture of you at the desk? And I was like, yes. And I sat down and it was like, not just the desk. It was, they had the, the desk like decked out with, there's a phone on it. There's like, you know, stuff on the desk. And then it had the bay windows behind it, like it does on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I sat down and there's a picture of me somewhere with I'll, I'll see if i can find it but there's a picture of me like holding the phone and like just beaming because i'm at the desk and and meg afterwards was like you're like the only one you were the only one who cared about that at all and i was like oh my god this is like the best day of my life <laughs> like I can't it's kind of nuts though because it was a wildly popular show when it was on yeah i don't know i mean there was a lot of other stuff 
that we saw that I wonder, you know, people come on to see. Like, the the big um, exhibits that they had when we were there were, like, Harry Potter costumes and also, uh, okay. yeah. and also Batman, the cars from all the Batman movies. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a different crowd. <laughs> but they were Can't like... Can't imagine what you mean. Yeah, they were like, I don't know, here, come into this warehouse where we have all this random stuff. And one of the things they had was the set, the Oval Office set, which made me very happy. Oh, I'm super jealous. I never heard that story. Ugh. <sighs> okay, well, next week, The Good Place is back. Thank goodness. But only for a few episodes, and then we're going to have to come up with other things to talk about Yeah, for, um, like, eight months. Uh. <laughs> it's a long, dark road ahead of us. But I think we're going to get through it. Well, we'll have Captain Marvel to talk about. Oh, we absolutely will talk Captain Marvel. Do and not any of you worry your pretty heads. We will have... I saw a, on Twitter she posted a thing about how she was... Like lifting like a hundred and two hundred seventy five pounds or something in the gym. Oh, she like pushed like, a jeep up a hill. <laughs> She's that's so crazy. She legit pushed a jeep up a hill. Brie, this we're talking about Brie Larson who's playing <laughs> Captain Marvel. She was just like, yeah, I guess if Captain Marvel is like super strong, I guess I should also be super strong. And then she spent like years becoming the strongest <laughs> woman, One like alive. pound for pound. She met a bunch of you know. So Captain, Mar- I'm just gonna spiel about Captain yeah. Marvel for a minute. Captain Marvel is a, a an Air Force pilot in the comics, and so Brie Larson met with a bunch of female Air Force pilots and was like, "Hey, they're really impressive. I'm gonna like do the training they do or whatever." You know, like so she just really sank her teeth into the role, and she's gonna be amazing. Really excited for that. That's in March, yes. and then in December when we get there, I think eventually. it comes out on International Women's Day. <laughs> yeah, Captain it does. Marvel, and then. In December, we will have episode nine of Star Wars to talk about. Oh yeah, good point. But in between, that's those a things, long time. I don't know what we're that's gonna do. Time. Yeah, it's a lot of months to fill up with random stuff. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Yeah. <laughs> Till next time, everybody enjoy your uh, wheat thin the size of Lake Tahoe. <laughs> we'll see you next time, ding dongs. I heard you sneeze, and then I couldn't help but laugh because I thought about um, the Griffin sneezing into the microphone. (laughs) I tried to mute it. It it came on too quick. Don't address it. (laughs) Um.